Thank you, Taylor. Now, this week's episode of Carson's Sack is brought to you by McDonald's and their new salads. Me, myself, my salad, okay, that is it. This salad is for me. The grilled chicken Caesar at McDonald's. I am so into all the different kinds of lettuce and the cute little tomatoes, but what really shouts my name is all that warm grilled chicken. I drizzle on the low-fat Newman's own all-natural balsamic vinaigrette, and I am one happy dude. Want me to go on and on about the crispy cob or the bacon ranch salad too? Ba-da, ba-ba-ba, I'm loving it. This episode of The Sack is also brought to you by Smirnoff Ice. It is better to receive than give. It is better to receive than give. It is better to receive than give. Just keep telling yourself that. So get down on that knee and finish it. Hey, hit that ish. And with that, welcome to the 22nd episode of Carson Sack Podcast, where we talk balls. Today, we're going to have the usual balls, but I'm going to give it to you in a bit of a different order. That's right. We're going to talk NFL first, college second, and then I'm going to talk about college basketball a little bit. Hometown team in Louisville going through a tumultuous time now, and then then will be playoffs are starting. So uh, gonna break those down a little bit, give you my predictions for that. And I'll be honest with you, not a baseball expert, but I'm gonna gonna try my darndest to give you some good insight and hopefully some good picks on that. Before we get started, though, I would like to say, please like, subscribe, rate. And if you're you're feeling generous, if you want to do your boy a favor, write a review on iTunes. I can't tell how many subscribers I have, but I can see the ratings and I can see any reviews you leave. So I would greatly appreciate if any of you listeners would comment and give me five stars. Um... I think I'm worth the five-star rating. At least I'm a three and a half on a bad day. On a good day, five. On pretty much every day, four, four and a half, if we're being honest. But like I said, really appreciate if you could subscribe. Obviously, that'd be nice just as a basic thing to do. But if you would rate it, star it, and give it a review, that would be fantastic. If you're new to the show or if you just plain forgot, that sound means it is time for the rapid-fire recap of Week 4 in the NFL. First game, boom, the Steelers ran great play after great play after great play, just like Hamilton, Wicked, and a Midsummer's Night's Dream, and the performance got them rave reviews, while the Ravens... They're not even going to get invited to the Tony Awards. Steelers win a big AFC North matchup this weekend, 26-9. Next game, boom, Saints versus Dolphins, and somebody calls SeaWorld because the Dolphins got slaughtered. Wait, you're telling me SeaWorld is the 
the whales, not the dolphins. Well, oh, well, the dolphins would have been better putting Ray Finkel and Snowflake out there because the Saints come out with a 20-0 victory. Next game, boom, Bills at Falcons, where Stephen Hauschka hits two late field goals to help the Bills upset the Falcons. Stephen Hauschka, more like Stephen Hausch kick, huh? Huh? Yeah, I hate myself sometimes, too. Bills are now the leaders in the AFC East after the 23-17 victory. Next game, boom, Rams-Dallas. Goff and Gurley, the new law firm in town, held the Cowboys in content as they win this game 35-30 in a big upset. Case dismissed! Next game, boom, Titans at Texans, more like electricians because Watson at quarterback for them accounts for five touchdowns Why J.J. Watt is on the other side of the ball holding it down in a big AFC South win. Houston upsets the Titans, 57, count them, 57 to 14. Next game, Panthers at the Patriots. Tom Brady and the Patriots just learned how to do the stanky leg, do the stanky leg, do the stanky leg. But Cam Newton and the Panthers have been dabbing since 2014, which is why they played so fab. Ulyss, Panthers in a big upset on the last second field goal, 33-30 over the Patriots. Next game, boom! Raiders go to the Broncos where Derek Carr must have just been tired of carrying the team on his entire back because he leaves the game with an apparent back injury and EJ Manuel comes to the game and he just couldn't get the manual to figure out that Broncos defense car and the Raiders just run out of gas and apparently the other car in the Broncos had all the horse power. Broncos get a big win in the AFC West, 16-10. Next game, boom, Colts go to the Seahawks where the Seahawks smoked the Colts and Jacoby Brissett, making him Jacoby Brisk set. And the Colts ask the Seahawks, how do you like your meat done? The Seahawks say, uh, just kind of how like we played. Well done. Seahawks win this one at 46-18. Last game, boom. In the battle for the reservation, the Redskins go to the Chiefs. Chiefs, seven-point favorite is the dealt sack pick of the week. And the Chiefs cover this one 29-20 on a last-second fumble recovery for a touchdown. Dealt sack win this week, 29-20, Chiefs over the Redskins. And so with that, that closes the rapid-fire recap for week four of the NFL. But now, ladies and gents, we have the pleasure to looking forward to week five in the NFL. So the first game to get into, you have the two and two New England Patriots. Little surprising, going to the two and one Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's going to be interesting to see how the Patriots respond to another loss already so early in the year. Some people are saying, "Hey, this this team might not even lose a game all year," but I think just like the Patriots did in Week Two after losing to the Chiefs, they're going to do in Week Five after losing to the Panthers in Week Four. I think. Tom Brady and Belichick just know how to make adjustments, and then Tom Brady is such a competitor that this loss to the Patri to the Panthers by the Patriots has probably been eating at him since the last second field goal went through, and he is going to come out and play with such vigor and such anger on Thursday that I think he's going to have another great performance, and the Patriots are going to win against the Buccaneers pretty easily. 
The uh, next game I want to look at, both teams are 3-1. and one. You have the Panthers going to the Lions, and Cam Newton had a great game last week. He got a rushing touchdown, which he hasn't had in a while. He threw, he was throwing the ball really well, making good decisions, staying in the pocket when he needed to, but used his legs a lot when he needed to as well. And I think that's the combination uh, Ron Rivera and the entire Panthers were really looking for for the last past year and a half actually if cam can keep doing that and if the panthers defense with keekley and that young secondary keeps progressing they're going to be a tough team to beat in the nfc the lions they're all three and one they're they just beat the vikings last week in a 14-7 low scoring i like the panthers in this one i just keep seeing the panthers keep keeping the momentum going, building on that, building on Cam's good performance, building on the defense, finally coming along, and I see the Panthers winning this one against the Lions. So this next game, it's a battle of two winless teams, and I predicted one of these teams was going to go to the playoffs after an 0-2 start, and what have they done? They've only let me down. That's right, we have the Chargers going to the Giants. One of these teams is going to get their first win of the year, obviously, Unless it ends in a tie, which I would literally, I would die laughing. I would, it would be hysterical. Actually, it wouldn't. I'd be actually pretty pissed off, but I'm going to take the Giants in this one just because they're going to need this win if they're going to make the playoffs. Uh, they have to win out if they're going to go 12 and 4, which is a little bit difficult. Maybe 10 and 6, 9 and 7 wins that division this year. Who, who knows? But to get things rolling and get their playoff spot secured, they're going to need to win this game. So I'm going to take the Giants in this one. The next game we look at, it's actually a really big NFC West divisional matchup. The Seahawks play at the Rams, and the Rams have been pretty surprising. They're 3-1. and one. Jared Goff has been one of the better quarterbacks in the league, which is a little surprising seeing where he was last year. I don't know if that's coaching change or just took a year to adjust or whatnot, but I'm really happy for him to develop and get better. Um, he was kind of a dumbass on hard knocks, didn't even know where the sun sets or rises, but the Rams and the Seahawks are always tough games, always just defensive battles, and I actually like it a lot, but uh, I'm going to take the Seahawks in this one. I think Russell Wilson and, well, that's the other thing, their running back situation. Uh, Carson just went down for them in the backfield, and he was clearly the best running back. Thomas Rawls is out. Um, CJ Procise Pro was injured. He could be back next week, but if it's not, it all rests on Eddie Lacy, who... So far, he was a healthy scratch one week and just hasn't performed well enough the last couple weeks, but it's Eddie Lacy's backfield to have if all these other people are going to be hurting. It would, I I personally am a fan of Eddie Lacy. I mean, he struggles with, with weight issues throughout his career, so there's... There's one you could say that could go either way. Oh, he's he would be so rich and such a good player if he would lose weight. And it's it's a struggle sometimes. And I'd like to see Eddie Lacy just rebound and take his career into his own hands and start playing a little better. So maybe that starts this week against the Rams. So I'm going to take the Seahawks in this one against the Rams. Okay, so the next game you have the Packers going to the Cowboys. Packers three and one. Cowboys two and two. A little disappointing for them. Um, I just like the Cowboys in this one. I think it's going to be a real high-scoring game. The pass rush for the Cowboys this year has been a lot better than anybody's expected, so that'll be a bright spot. And the Packers' O-line is a little dysfunctional, a little banged up. I feel like it always is. Aaron Rodgers, I feel like they're going to do a lot of bootlegs, a lot of getting him on the move to change change the presence of the pocket, stuff like that. Um, the Cowboys' secondary, again, they got rid of a lot of players, too. That's still being developed, but I think 
The Cowboys just put up enough points, control the ball, possess the ball a little bit long enough, and I think the Packers, their Nitro defense is good, but I think the Cowboys O-line does well enough. Zeke plays well enough. I'm thinking two to three touchdowns out of him. Maybe maybe not a big yardage game, but going to impact it with, like I said, two to three scores, and I think Dak and Dez do well enough. They've developed a little bit of chemistry, better than it was last year. They've been playing good together these first four games this year. Uh, Dez had 98 uh, yards last game. I think Dak keeps going. I think Dak doesn't turn the ball over, has another good game management type game, and the Cowboys get a big win against the Packers. And then the last game I'm going to look at for this week, you have the Chiefs, who are 4-0, going to the 2-2 Texans. The whole talk after last night's big win, last second win for the Chiefs is, are the Chiefs the best team in the NFL? And right now, yeah, you could say that, but overall, I don't think they are. I think... Given the time that was happened last night, the Redskins defense isn't that good, and Alex Smith can't like can't really throw the ball more than twenty yards down the field. Fifteen, normally twelve, twelve to fifteen is normally the furthest he can throw it. I understand he brought him back last night, got him in field goal positions, all that for the win, but that's a little concerning. And then Tyreek Hill, no problem with him at receiver, but and Travis Kelsey, no problem with him either as tight end. Great, Cream Hunt has doing incredibly well, probably rookie of the year so far. Just incredible at running back, but I. I'm just not completely sold on it, and Andy Reid concerns me a little bit as coaching just because he's made some questionable calls in the past with time management and other things like that. Right now, yeah, best team in the league, but if Chiefs were playing the Patriots in the playoffs, I'd take Belichick and Brady all day, and I think it'd be an interesting matchup if the Chiefs played the Steelers in the playoffs or something like that I know that's extremely far away and maybe one of those teams or both of those teams maybe just fall apart and don't even make the playoffs um I'm not sure I don't know the schedule right off the top of my head but if those two teams the Steelers and Chiefs play each other I can't wait for that uh this week though they're going to the Texans and I think Deshaun Watson is one of the best young quarterbacks in the league he was uh responsible for four touchdowns last week three through the air one on the ground um I just think the Chiefs defense is going to be too overwhelming for Deshaun Watson. Um, I expect him to have an okay game, but I expect him to make a couple mistakes, maybe two interceptions or so, leading to a Chiefs Chiefs win over the Texans. So now, a um, little bonus segment. We're going to do blue balls here, and that's going to get us rolling into the uh, weekend that was of college football. And the biggest blue balls, maybe... Maybe of the entire year, actually. You had Troy going to 25th-ranked LSU. LSU, it was their homecoming weekend. They paid Troy $800,000 to come there. Homecoming weekend. You think, oh, easy win. Students will get hammered. We'll crown a king and queen of the school in the homecoming. Oh, what a great time. Troy came in there and said, um... Yeah, no, we're, it's, it's not what's going to happen. Troy beats LSU at home at LSU 24-21, and LSU lost their last two games. They lost to Mississippi State last week, well, two weeks ago, and then they lose to Troy, who they had no 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 business beating LSU last weekend, if we're going to be honest. But LSU, you are my blue balls of the week. So I'm only going to break down four games um, from the past week. And the first one was the Friday night game. You had the fifth-ranked 
Trojans from USC going to the 16th ranked Cougars from Washington State, and it was a hell of a game. But in the end, Washington State pulls out a big win. What was... Um, like I said, a big factor was if Washington State could get the run game going. And Morrow for uh, Washington State did just that. He only had six carries, but he had 91 yards and a touchdown. And it provided the Cougars just enough of a bit of a balance of the run-pass offensive balance that they needed to come out on top. Sam Darnell did not play good at all. His confidence has little gone down a little bit. Maybe he's starting to feel that Heisman pressure that maybe – first round best quarterback stuff like that pressure in the NFL and whatnot but he only had 164 yards and one interception no touchdowns or anything on the opposite side Falk the quarterback for Washington State he had 340 yards two touchdowns and one interception so like I said um big thing at the end was uh Eric Powell he kicked a 32 yard field goal with a minute 40 left to beat USC because Washington State's defense stepped up. I'm really interested to see how Washington State is going to factor into the Pac-12 uh, title game picture. I like what they do on offense. Um, they literally just sling the rock as much as they can and then, like I said, if Morrow can continue to progress like he did in this game and step up big and provide just a little bit of a change of pace like so where they still have to honor and care about the run. Washington State is deadly. In no way do I think USC is out of the Pac-12 title picture or anything thing like that um small setback maybe for a major comeback um they're gonna go as far as Sam Darnell takes them and I said he's been on a bit of a slide lately but I just think he's too good of a quarterback for that to keep happening I expect the Trojans to keep winning here after this week and I'll be honest I expect Washington State to do so too and so um, I'm just going to keep bringing up this team in the next game just because I'm a huge fan of them. You had the seventh-ranked Georgia Bulldogs. They went to Tennessee, and the Bulldogs threw a shutout up. They won 41-0. Jake Fromm, the uh, interim quarterback, I guess as you could say, he threw for a touchdown pass and then ran for two more. And uh, Nick Chubb, 16 carries, 109 yards. And their defense again, I I say it every week because I truly mean it. Uh, Kirby Smart, um, ex-Alabama coordinator, head coach for them, and 10 returning starters on defense. What more can you ask for? Um, 41-0 this week. Georgia just keeps rolling. They have a great chance to win the SEC East. As I keep saying, I'm just so high on this team. Um, They're going to keep things rolling, I feel like, for the rest of the season after this big win over Tennessee in the SEC East. 41-0. And then the next game in the Big 12, which was... Uh, it was a shootout, actually, and I was very pleased with it. Um, you had the 15th-ranked Oklahoma State Cowboys after coming off that loss to TCU, going to Texas Tech, coached by Cliff Kingsbury, and has a great he has a great offensive mind. They're three and one on the year. Oklahoma State pulled out a big win, 41-34, and uh, Mason Rudolph he had the go-ahead touchdown in the final two minutes, so it shows hey he's willing to step up in big moments. Um, he's he didn't have his confidence rattled after last weekend. He had 376 yards through the air and three touchdowns. So you'd like to see that he rebounded from the loss last week. I think Oklahoma State, they'll be all right. They just got to keep building on what they got going, keep believing in what they got in there, the spread offense, the slinging the rock, just throwing it. And then 
if they can get um, a running back that, just like I said with Washington State, can get um, a team to respect the running game just enough to where it opens up the pass game, Oklahoma State will be fine and in the Big 12 title picture the entire season. Texas Tech, they're a little bit of an upstart, not an upstart, but middle-of-the-road team in the Big 12, but it's encouraging to see that they could hang with one of the best big, one of the best uh, teams the Big 12s have to offer. And so the last game from last week, I'm going to talk about was Clemson versus Virginia Tech, and it was at Virginia Tech, and it was one of the games I said Clemson was going to lose to uh, damper, put a damper on their chances of winning the ACC championship, or even just making the game, and uh, boy was I fucking wrong. Uh, Clemson dominated the game, and the final score, 31-17, 14-point difference is just, it, it doesn't tell the entire story of the game. Clemson's defense, which I've, I've just, apparently it's just flown so under the radar for me that I've just not even been able to see it. Their defense is so good. And then Kelly Bryant, he had 186 yards, a touchdown through the air. Again, very game management-like, but he had 19 carries and 94 yards. So the, you'd like to see that he's still able to impact the game when he's not uh, throwing the ball as well as he'd like. Um... One thing that does bother me a little bit about how Clemson has done in the past three years, this being the third year, is people are already saying they're like one of the new dynasties or one of the new great teams in college football. I think they're a good team and they've been, I'll say great because you're not making it back-to-back national championships without being great and this team's on the cusp of being great because they look really good on both sides of the ball, but I just can't say they're a great over like program overall. Like, yes, they're on their way to that. I think if they keep the success up for two more years, I know that might be asking a lot, and I might be a hard critic, and you might just be thinking, hey, Carson, like, throw these guys a bone, shut the hell up, they're pretty good, but... Me, personally, I think they're on the rise. They're literally, like, so close. They just got to reach up and grab the brass ring. And I don't I don't think that means a national championship, but I think that means more dominant performances like this. Maybe, if you don't make the national championship game, convincing bowl game wins, uh, ACC championships, just stuff like that. Like, just to keep them moving up and up. And like I said, if they have a good year this year, which they look like they're on track to do, and then two good more years I'll say yeah they're up there with the Alabamas the Ohio States um the you could throw them in there as Clemson they are probably top one two or three in the country as a program but like I said that kind of got a little off topic but that just bugs me a little bit how Clemson's already being thrown into as one of these great programs when it's only let's it's only been three years let's slow our slow our roll and let's give them some more time to prove themselves and then now we're going to look ahead to this coming week. And I'll be honest, there's not a lot of good games. There's Let me look at it right now. There's one, um, two, three, four really good games. So I'm going to break these down. I don't want you to think I'm getting lazy on I'm only doing four. It's just what I deem as a good game and like could be a game that I know a little bit more about and can be willing to break it down for you. That's the type of games I'm going to do, so just bear with me here. 
The first game, you got Louisville, who is 17th in the country, going to 24th, North Carolina State. Uh, North Carolina State is favored in this one. Um, I don't agree with that. I just think Lamar Jackson and the Cardinals, he's going to do... He's just going to do Lamar Jackson things. And North Carolina State's defense, I get it's very good. Um, It's at North Carolina State, but you just can't. The only team that has stopped Lamar Jackson, really, there's two teams that have stopped Lamar Jackson in the past two years. is Clemson this year and then LSU last year. And I don't think North Carolina State defense holds a candle to either of those. And I think that's just really going to show in the yardage and the points and the touchdowns Lamar Jackson puts up, not only on the ground, but through the air as well. So I'm going to take the Cardinals in this one, even though they're the underdogs in this one. Okay, so this next game is between West Virginia Mountaineers. They're going to the Texas Christian University, TCU. They're eighth in the country. The Horn Frogs, um, I'm going to take the Horn Frogs in this one. They're one of my sleeper teams this year. Kenny Hill is balling out. He's got 965 yards in the year and nine touchdowns. He's Stepping back a little bit, he's not putting up his big numbers, but he's making less mistakes, which has given TCU and that good defense they have under Gary Patterson, who's such a defensive-minded coach. It's given them as a team rather than him as an individual to put up good stats. It's given TCU as a team better chances to win. On the opposite side, though, Will Greer for the Mountaineers. He's had a great year. He's got 1,374 yards and 13 touchdowns with only three interceptions. What really pisses me off about Will Greer is nothing about him, but it's his brother Nash Greer, who got Vine famous all because of their little sister. Don't know her name, but literally Nash, you wouldn't be famous if it wasn't for your little sister. Will Greer, way to make a name for yourself outside of that, but I just don't think your name and your quarterbacking skills and the rest of your team is going to be enough to beat the Horn Frogs at TCU, so I'm going to take TCU in this one to move to 5-0 on the year. And now we move on to another big ACC game, uh, an in-state rivalry, a big rivalry, actually. You got the 13th-ranked undefeated Miami Hurricanes going to the 1-2 Florida State Seminoles. I'm going to take the Hurricanes in this one, and it's purely just because of the injury to Francois in the first game and having to put Blackman in, the true freshman. I Granted, he is a five-star, but having to put him in has really just stopped any momentum they've had on offense, and he just hasn't figured it out well enough for me to think that he's going to just out of nowhere one week make the change. Um, And also, Florida State's defense just isn't as good as thought it was going to be. And then... Miami's offense with Rosier at a Rosier, sorry, at quarterback. He's done pretty well. Only eight touchdowns, only two interceptions, and then Walton on the ground. He's only got 44 carries. Hasn't gotten a lot of chances actually to show what he can do. But on those 44, he's got 403 yards and three touchdowns. So I expect them. And then Braxton Berrios. 10 receptions, 192 yards, and 3 touchdowns. He is such a dynamic playmaker on offense, whether it's lining him up in the slot, putting him outside, in the backfield, and the special teams game. I remember seeing this kid's name in high school coming out of, I forget where he came out of, I apologize, but seeing his name in high school recruiting books and everything and looking at his highlights and stuff, and he's just an electric player. So I think he's going to have a big game, and I'm going to take the Hurricanes over the Seminoles in this one. Okay, now the last game I want to talk about for this upcoming week. You have Washington State. They moved up to 11th in the country. They're going to Oregon at Oregon. Oregon's 4-1. and one. Just some things to talk about. Um, this is probably going to be a very high-scoring game. Washington State averages 41 points per game. Oregon averages 49. But 
On the opposite side of the ball, both of these teams' defense is pretty good. Uh, Washington State gives up 20 points a game, and then Oregon's gives up 26. Um, my big thing is if Washington State, like I said, can keep developing the ground game, keeping teams honest enough, that'll be good enough for them to win a lot of games because their defense plays fast. They play through the echo of the whistle. Shout out Josh Mullins for giving me that terminology. Um, Oregon, after Chip Kelly left, they had to find, they struggled to find an offensive identity, and they're sort of trying to get that back. It's helped because their quarterback, Herbert, has uh, 1,264 yards through the air and nine touchdowns. Um, um, and then the running back Freeman already has 10 touchdowns on the year. They're not as fast paced, but they're still up tempo type of offense, run the spread, run the read option as well. And Oregon is one of the best environments for college football. Their fans are rowdy. Their student section is incredibly good. Oregon's actually a favorite in this one. I'm going to roll with the Cougars, though. I'm a big fan of them. So I'll, like I said, I'm going to take Washington State over Oregon in this one. So now that we've talked our usual balls, let's try and move into some uncharted waters a little bit here on the sack. We're going to talk MLB since the postseason is upon us. It starts tonight, the AL wildcard. you got the Twins going up against the Yankees. It's at the Yankees, and the Yankees have the best AL record for home games. And Aaron Judge, I just like him a lot. Um, I'm going to take the Yankees in this one. I just think the Twins... They're on the come up right now, but the Yankees, I feel like with Gary Sanchez and Aaron Judge, um, they're going to be good enough to win this game tonight. And then the winner of this game moves on to take on the Indians in the divisional round. So we talk about the AL wild card. Now we look at the NL wild card, and you got the Rockies going up against the D-backs in um, Arizona. I'm going to go with the Diamondbacks in this one, and it's purely just because Zach Grinke is going to be on the mound for the Diamondbacks. And then Paul Goldschmidt has been a great hitter all year. He's been consistently good for so long, but 36 home runs, and they added Justin Upton at the end of the season. I think that's going to be a big boost for them as well. So I'm going to take the Diamondbacks to get past the Rockies in the NL wildcard. And so the NL wildcard winner, the D-backs, get the pleasure of playing the Los Angeles Dodgers. So the AL playoff sets up the Red Sox versus the Astros, and then the Indians versus the Yankees, and then the NL uh, playoff set up with the Cubs against the Nationals, and then the Dodgers versus the Diamondbacks. And so let's look at the AL first, just because I like the AL better. Um... If you don't know, the first round, the division series of the playoffs, it's a best of five, and the Red Sox are going to play the Astros. Astros have been the story, I feel like, of the AL all year. Even though Cleveland had that big winning streak near the end of the year, I think the Astros have been the most impressive team all around. Um, Jose Altuve has been great for them all year, and then they get Justin Verlander, and he has been revitalized since going down to Houston. What I'm going to go with is I'm going to go Houston. Houston in five because I think the Red Sox, their pitching staff um, with Sale, and then they're going to move David Price to the uh, bullpen. And then you got Henry Ramirez and you got Xavier Bogarts. I like them a whole heck of a lot. Um, I think they're also going to miss David Ortiz a lot in the playoffs. You got him. I understand 
He was a little older, but a veteran bat that has been there before, won two World Series before, you just miss that type of leadership, honestly. And I know there's some guys there, um, like Desert Pedroia and stuff like that, who have been there, but I just think David Ortiz has been so clutch for them and having a bat like him to be there, maybe not start, but pinch hit and stuff like that. Who's He's come through in big moments like that in the past, but in the end, though, I'm going to take the Astros over the Red Sox in five games, three to two Astros. And then the next series, you got the Indians going up against the Yankees. The Indians rolled out their rotation already, and you got uh, Trevor Bauer, who most notably um, was the guy who chopped up his finger pretty bad with his drone. And then you have, in my opinion, after him, Corey Kluber, the AL Cy Young winner. And then you follow that with Carlos Carrasco, and then my favorite pitcher on the Indian staff, you have uh, Tomlin, who just throws throws pretty much every pitch but just he just slings it he doesn't really know like I don't really know how to describe his pitching style it's it's wild he's what I do like about him he's got some flow but his pitching style is just it, it's unique and I like that a lot in the end of this series, I don't have much to say about the Yankees I think the Indians pitching staff just overwhelms them and I think the Indians, Probably lose a game in New York. Oof. If it even makes it that far, they lose a game in New York. So I'm going to go with the Indians either in two or just because if it does shift back to New York. I mean, look at it. I'm just going to take the Indians in two because the actually if the Indians have two there and then two back and then it goes back to the Indians, there's no point. Like, the Indians are going to win. The only chance I would give the Yankees of winning a game is if it was at the Yankees. But the, the math there just doesn't add up. So I'm going to go with the Indians to face the Astros in the AL Championship Series. And so now we shift to the NL where you got the Cubs going up against the Nationals. And then you got the Dodgers versus the Diamondbacks. And I'm going to be honest with you here. Um, I just had the Cubs advancing against the Nationals just because of Chris Bryant and what they had going on last year, Kyle Schwarber, all that, just the magic that happened last year. But then I thought of it, and the the Nationals pitching staff is so good with uh, Max Serger and uh, Strasburg. And then you have Bryce Harper, who has really come into his own as a player this year. He's owning pretty much everything. His bat's working good. His fielding skills have gotten a lot better. Um, like I said, I had the Cubs, but looking at it now, their pitching staff just hasn't been what it was last year. Arietta has declined a little bit. Um, Lackey, I mean, yeah, he's he was great in the playoffs last year for him, but I, he as well has just been on a slide a little bit this year. I'm going to take the Nat, the Nationals in this one, and I think it'll go five games, but I think in the end the Nationals pull out a big, I, I don't want to say upset because the, the Nationals do have a lot of people saying, hey, they're not as get, getting enough respect as they deserve, but I'm going to take the Nationals in a bit of a quotation mark, upset, if you will, over the Cubs. And then looking at the other NL matchup, you got the Dodgers against the D-backs, and I think this is just going to be over quick. Um, Clayton Kershaw and 
their entire bats there and the Dodgers are just too good for the D-backs to even be competitive, I feel like. So I'm going to take the Dodgers in this one, uh, 2-0, to set up the Nationals versus the Dodgers in the NL championship series and so now we move to the al championship series you got the indros ver the indians versus the astros the intros yeah that'd be a hell of a name um this now turns into a best of seven series and i'm gonna take the indians in six like i said i just think their rotation and then their bats with lindor kipnis jose ramirez and win Encarnacion, um just so many good options they have even if they need to bring someone in off the bench there they have just so many good role players and tito uh francona terry francona he has just so much experience in the playoffs that he can be a bit of a little mastermind and make good shifts and then i can't believe i haven't brought him up yet but Andrew Miller, who was so dominant in the playoffs last year, he's still there. Let's not forget about him. I feel like if the Indians would have won the World Series, he probably would have been uh, MVP. I mean, he was the AL Championship Series MVP last year. I don't think he's going to have another performance like that. I think that honor is going to go to Jose Ramirez. Let's not sleep on the Astros, Astros, though. They have some great players, like I said, Jose Altuve. But I just think the Indians get it done and move past the Astros to make it back-to-back World Series appearances. And then now we look at the NL. This troubles me a little bit. The Dodgers, I like them as a team, but their manager, Robertson, just makes a lot of questionable decisions for me and I get managers aren't out there playing the game but they set up how players can play the game if that makes sense so it's a little questionable I think what another guy that I haven't mentioned that's going to go under the radar but it's going to have a big impact actually is Yasiel Puig so I'm going to take the Dodgers to slide by the Nationals in six games and I think it's going to be pretty close I think it's a heartbreaking loss in six for the Nationals. I think maybe walk off or just a blown play like a wild pitch or something like that or walking in the winning run or something like that. I think the Nationals are good, but I think they beat themselves in the end and the Dodgers move on to the World Series. So let's set it up now. We have the Cleveland Indians going up against the Los Angeles Dodgers. So like I said, the World Series, you got the Indians going up against the Dodgers. First thing you're going to notice about this is the time slots when it goes to Los Angeles is going to suck for the people on the East Coast. The games are going to go so late into the night. I will be up for every game, though, and I advise you to watch some playoff uh, baseball. I watched every game that the Indians played last year, and it was so entertaining, and yes, like normal regular season baseball is boring. I'll give you that. If you go to the games, it might not be, but watching on TV is, but playoff baseball just inca- just captivated me last year and I have been looking forward to it since the last out of the world series again just because it was so exciting and you hung on every inning or almost every pitch and at bat because it literally can change the game entirely with just one pitch or one swing of the bat now moving on what I think the biggest thing here is going to be the managerial um, positions and how they handle the game and then the pitching so, Clayton Kershaw, obviously one of the best pitchers, if not the best pitchers in the game, going up against Corey Kluber in Game 1 more than likely. That is going to be a hell of a pitching battle. Um, what is interesting, though, is, like I mentioned before, Andrew Miller can be that middle reliever or closer guy if you need him to. Clayton Kershaw 
he can go the entire game. I he can. He's that good. What is interesting though is if he does go the entire game, how that's going to play into the rotation or how well he can pitch later on in the series if he's needed. What's good with Kluber is he can go entire games if needed, but because of Andrew Miller being there, he doesn't have to. I mean, honestly, if he's rolling, doing well, and his pitch count's pretty low, keep him in there. Let him do that. I think Tito... I don't think Tito will do that unless he's super confident in it just because he knows Kluber is his ace. He knows he's going to be good, but like I said, if he's rolling just putting, I has like 13 to 14 Ks, which he's done before this year, and his pitch count is low, keep him in there. I think the winner of that first game, it goes on to win the entire, the entire series because after Kershaw, the fall off for the rotation for the Dodgers is big, but... The guys that the Indians have, they got Bauer, who is a very a very sneaky good pitcher, and then Carlos Carrasco, who they didn't have last year for the entire playoffs, so I think is going to make a huge difference for them because they finally have another established starter and good pitcher that can throw the fastball by anyone. And then you have Tomlin, like I said, I aggressive pitching style or reckless pitching style I guess is how you could describe it but it gets the job done I'm going to take the Indians in six and I'm going to say the AL the uh, player that wins the MVP is going to be Francisco Lindor I think his bat is going to be electric all series and I think his defense is going to be so good he is so young his contract does come up in a little bit but Indians are going to resign him. Keep that man in Cleveland as long as you can because he is going to be the face of the franchise. Jose Ramirez is going to step up and have a big series too, I feel like. And then you also can't forget about Edwin Carnacion. But I think there's going to be a big moment in probably game three or four, honestly. And Carlos Santana, who his career has taken off since Francona has got there, I feel like he's going to be... A little slept on, but I think he wins a game, either game three or four, for the Indians. And at the end of the day, like I said, I'm going to take the Indians in six, and all of Cleveland will be singing one song. Okay, like I said, the last thing I want to get into, I'm only going to talk about it pretty briefly here, though, is Rick Pitino and UofL um, were kind of caught paying, not kind of caught, they were caught paying a five-star recruit through Adidas that filtered down through UofL to come through UofL. um, It's Rick Pitino's third strike, so he's out. Tom Jurich, the athletic director, was asked to fire Rick Pitino. He said, nope, I'm not doing it. And so he's been put on leave. And now, after Pitino's termination, he's suing UofL because it violated his contract for $44 million. UofL thinks they only loan him $11,000, so those figures are pretty close. I don't think... I think Pitino is kind of just trying to be an asshole and say... F you to L and stuff, which I don't think he should because they've brought him in and have been nothing but understanding and have put up with so much bullshit and scandal with him for the past 10 years. I mean, with the Karen Cypher thing and then the stuff about the Katina Powell and the strippers and prostitutes and stuff like that. Now to this, it's a little upsetting because Rick Pitino 
hopefully this doesn't put a damper on his entire career accomplishments because he was a hell of a coach. He took Kentucky to a national championship in a Final Four, and then he took U of L to a championship in a Final Four. I think he's one of only, I think, five or six coaches to take two different teams to national to uh, Final Fours. So that's impressive. He's in the Hall of Fame already, the Basketball Hall of Fame, but. Like I said, I feel like this could put a damper overall on his entire career, which is upsetting because his accomplishments are so much better, I feel like, than his letdowns and scandals and stuff. But it's going to be hard to overlook all of that. Uh, David Padgett, uh, who played for UofL under Patino, he is now the interim coach for UofL. Um, I think he's going to run a sort of toned down Rick Pitino team because, like I said, he played for him and was coached by him, so he probably had the same coaching philosophies instilled in him as Pitino did, but I feel like he's going to put a little bit of a spin on it to where it's more of his type of coaching style rather than just a carbon copy of Pitino's, and I think if he does well enough, I don't think it's like been announced yet officially but I think if he does well enough which I think he has the possibility to do because UofL still has a good team I think he has a possibility of being hired full-time as UofL basketball head coach I'm going to give a little bit of condolences to my man Danny Tilton as a basketball manager I know he's probably this is a traumatic time for you I just want you to know we're all here for you we're all rooting for you Danny if you ever need anything reach out to me or any listeners I'd love to have you on the program on the podcast to talk about some of this it's if you can so just get a hold of me Danny we've already hopefully been in talk about some of this but like I said let's get something hammered out our condolences from Carson Sack are with you and your family through this traumatic time and that's going to do it for this episode of Carson Sack number 22. Like I said before, shout out to Taylor Swift for coming and giving us a live performance for that intro. Thank you, Taylor. Uh, th- yeah, like I said, thank you. And uh, like I mentioned before, please uh, subscribe, rate, and feel free to write a review on iTunes. It makes me feel big time when I say on iTunes instead of SoundCloud now. So like I said, please do that for me. And as always, I'll be here presenting this next Wednesday for you. And in closing, as always here on Carson Sack Podcast, where we talk balls, we will be seeing you.